All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We are hours away from Minnesotans going to their caucus, political parties caucusing tonight, the primary, Super Tuesday, one week away, and right here on Drive Time with Russia, we have the last woman standing with Donald Trump in the Republican presidential primary. It's Jason Russia. Welcome to Drive Time here on CCO. Nikki Haley was in Bloomington rallying with supporters last night. She has not won a single primary. Donald Trump has straight up steamrolled her. And she is taking it hardcore, describing uh, one publication today, Axios, described her strategy as scorched earth, going scorched earth on Trump. That's a pretty accurate description of her approach with us when we spoke at length about issues about strategy, about the country here on CCO. I know a lot of the media is fixated with this question of whether you're going to stay in or why are you still in. I got to be honest, I don't really care. I, if you want to be in, I think it's great to have a discussion about issues. Why, why do you think such the fixation on this? Well, I think that people just don't understand why I would continue to go through this process and, you know, they at first said, oh, it's all about her being vice president. I think I've pretty much, you know, gotten rid of that argument. And then they were saying, oh, it's all about 2028. Well, they realized if it was about 2028, I would have been out a long time ago. They can't wrap their arms around the fact that this is about me really putting the red flag up saying, look, this is about the Republican Party and this is about our country. And here you have a candidate that if I get out, is going to be a candidate that cannot win a general election. And you can look at it from the general election polls. The Marquette poll came out last week. If it's an election, he's typically losing by five, seven on his best day. It's margin of error. In that same Marquette poll, I defeat Joe Biden by 18 points. You win by 18 points. That's a mandate that would immediately help us on governorships, House, Senate. But it would be a mandate going into D.C. to stop the wasteful spending and get our economy back on track. It would be a mandate to get our kids reading again and go back to the basics in education. A mandate to finally secure our borders with no more excuses. A mandate for law and order back in our cities and a mandate for a strong America that prevents wars that we can all be proud of. That's the goal. But instead, what do we have? We have Donald Trump, who's creating more chaos and continues to go down this path that is pushing people out of the Republican Party instead of bringing them in. And you have to look at the fact that in Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina, he did not get 40 percent of the vote. You don't get 40 percent of the vote then you're not going to win a general election. And instead of realizing he needs to bring people into the fold, he said anyone that supports Nikki Haley will be barred permanently from MAGA. That's not what a candidate says when you're running for president. How do you how do you appeal? How do you appeal to those MAGA voters, those Trump voters, though, because what the message that I'm hearing 
is a general election message. But right now you're not winning in any of these primary races because you have to get some of those MAGA voters to to come over to you. What we are telling them is, look, you want to see a change in our country. I want to see a change in our country. We are not going to see a change in our country if we have a candidate that can't win. The Democrats are salivating at the thought of it being Donald Trump. They are salivating because they know they can defeat him. They defeated him in 2018. They defeated him in 2020. They defeated him in 2022. And they know that they're going to defeat him again in 2024. And what I'm saying is it's not just that. Look at how Donald Trump has taken us away from the very principles of the Republican Party. The Republican Party used to be about fiscal responsibility. Yet Donald Trump put us $8 trillion in debt in just four years, more than any other president. And he's not talking about smaller government. He's not talking about reining in the wasteful spending that Republicans and Democrats are doing. He's not talking about it at all. And then when it comes to national security, he's abandoned the peace through strength. He actually instead in South Carolina said that he would encourage Putin to invade our allies. Is Russia about that. Is Russia our largest external threat to our security right now? What do you think the largest threat is? I think China is our number one national security threat. But the problem is, if you look at what Trump did by partnering, by saying he would encourage Putin to invade our allies, I mean, you're siding with a thug where half a million people have died or been wounded because Putin invaded Ukraine. You're siding with a dictator that kills his political opponents. You're siding with a madman who arrests American journalists and holds them hostage. He's made no bones about wanting to destroy America. And you're going to choose to partner with him over the allies that stood with us after 9-11? And then look at what Donald Trump's doing to the Republican National Committee. This is a committee that's always supposed to be about winning races up and down the ticket. Yet before the primary's over, he's putting his daughter-in-law as chair. He's putting his campaign manager as operative. And they have made it very clear that the RNC now is only about Donald Trump. But don't you think that's Trump to create the legal that's to create a legal slush fund for him? Don't Trump voters know all of this stuff about Donald Trump? Like they've seen all of the things they've seen all of the things you're talking about. And yet they're still going back for another helping. But you can't deny that 40 percent of Republican primary voters are saying we don't want Donald yeah. Trump. No, I agree with you. That's but 60 percent seem whole... to want another serving like that. So there there's that 40 percent doesn't get you across the finish line out of the primary. Well, the goal is that's why we're doing all these Super Tuesday states. There are going to be 21 states and territories that are going to vote over the next 10 days. We want millions of people's voices to be heard, even though Donald Trump wanted to be named the presumptive nominee and tried to get the RNC to do it. This is not Russia. We don't anoint people in our country. We have elections and we want people's voices to be heard. And I'm telling you, the party that gets rid of their 80 year old candidate is going to be the party that wins. Joe Biden is not going to be the candidate. You're going to find the Democrats go put someone younger in. And we're going to be stuck with another loss and a President Kamala Harris. That is what will happen if Donald Trump is the nominee. We have a chance to do this. But this isn't even about even that. This is about our kids. And and people's grandkids, I mean, look at the life they have. They've been through COVID. They don't know how they're going to have to deal with the $34 trillion in debt. They don't know where they're going to get a job. They don't know if they're ever going to be able to afford a home. They don't know how they're going to make ends meet. And they're worried about war breaking out. And then we wonder why there's so much stress, anxiety, and depression. It's because they're living in a tent 
of a country that is completely divided, that's full of anger and hatred. You've got Joe Biden Nick, calling his Nikki, opponent fascist, and you've got Donald Trump calling his opponent vermin. It's wrong. How much of the hate and div- divisiveness in, in the country right now, do you think, is because of the tone that was set when Donald Trump was the president and the tone that I mean, continues it, today? Completely. I mean, look at it. I mean, you look at not only that, I came from Michigan, completely divided Republican Party, completely like all the anger, all the hatred. And because of that, they've lost the governor's mansion, the state house, the state Senate and, and everything that they had when in 2012 they were the, a beacon of light. You look here in Minnesota, the same thing. Suburban voters have decided that they are not going to vote for Donald Trump. So Democrats have started to win everything here in Minnesota. I mean, it is continuing to be a toxic situation for Republicans. And all that's doing is helping the Democrats. Nikki Haley is with us here on CCO. You know, Dean Phillips is our congressman uh, here in Minnesota. He on this radio station floated the idea uh, of saying, hey, I would have a conversation with Nikki Haley about a third party run. He's saying he's that serious about stopping Donald Trump. How do you respond to that? Would you would you consider teaming up with Dean Phillips doing a no labels type candidacy? I appreciate him saying that, but I'm a Republican and my focus is on the Republican primary. This is about trying to make sure that the Republican Party doesn't go down in flames and that we are able to save it and that we're able to save our country in the process. So, no, I am not looking at any independent run. I'm looking at trying to make sure that we can get the Republican Party to realize we have one chance to get this right or else we're going to be handing it off to the socialist left. The Supreme Court today talked about social media companies, and you've talked a bit about the negative influence they can have on young people. How do you regulate social media but still support and respect and defend the First Amendment? Well, I think people need to have the freedom of speech. The part I have, um, the issues I have with social media is I think they need to make their algorithms transparent. So we can see why things are pushed, why things are seen, what happens. I think the American people deserve to see those algorithms. The second thing is, I think we have got to get rid of the foreign bots. These are bots put in by Russia, by China, by Iran that go and and basically change the messaging, whether it's for elections or whether it causes division in our country. They're emphasizing that. I saw at the UN, they said it was the cheapest form of warfare. And social media companies aren't doing enough to get rid of these foreign bots. There's no people behind them. These are just computer-generated messages to divide our country. India just got rid of TikTok because of the the social disruption it was causing. We've got to start focusing on getting rid of TikTok. Should we? You would. Sure we get would the, you get rid of TikTok if you were president? Ab- absolutely. And Donald Trump said he would too, and he never did it. It's it's incredibly dangerous. It's managed and run by the Chinese Communist Party. We should not have that in anybody's phone, because if you have TikTok on your phone, just by having that app, they have access to your contacts, to your financial information. They can see what you click on, what you see, everything about it. It is incredibly dangerous. And with social media, we've got to get the foreign bots out of that. That's the focus. I don't think government needs to regulate what Americans see and what they say on social media. I mean, do I think it would be more, it would help everybody if everybody had to put their name next (laughs) to it? Yeah, I'd love to see that as a parent. I'd love to see that. But from a government perspective, we don't want government telling people what they can and can't say. But we do want 
social media companies to get rid of the foreign bots. Should government be involved in discussions about embryos in vitro fertilization? Obviously, that has been a big topic in the news as this uh, uh, state court case has played out. But do you believe that a frozen embryo is a human being? Do you support uh, in vitro fertilization? So I had both of my children through fertility processes. So I am a big supporter of IVF and, and fertility practices. I do think an embryo is a baby, but I think other people may not see it that way. And that's why I think it's very important that, yes, we should make sure embryos are respected and protected, but that conversation, it should be completely with the physician and the parent, no one else. It's a very sensitive personal subject, and it needs to be handled just between the physician and the parent. Boy, that's so interesting because I've talked a lot about this idea that you can have personal beliefs on these issues. They're very emotional. They're very personal. But your personal beliefs don't necessarily have to become governmental policy. Exactly. Exactly. Especially on something like this. These these parents are going through a lot as it is. The last thing they need to worry about is what government's going to think about the decisions that they make. This has been a really substantial conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time, Nikki Haley. Can I just ask you one last question about about climate change. It's a big issue that Minnesotans are concerned about. To a certain degree, we have some people moving from uh, states like California to Minnesota to feel uh, insulated from some of the, you know, here it's so dang cold, like a little climate change. Some people say like, well, it won't be as severe as some other parts of the country. Do, do you believe the planet is warming? Do you, do you believe that humans are partially driving the climate change that, that uh we're seeing? I think climate change is real. What I think is wrong is how Joe Biden is like forcing certain things to happen. You know, when he goes and does half a billion dollars worth of these or half a trillion dollars worth of green subsidies, forcing everybody to have to drive electric cars by 2033, that's not the way you go. To acknowledge that it's real, you focus on a transition. You partner with your producers to come up with innovations that actually actually help you with it. They're doing that now with nuclear fusion. There are processes we can do. The second thing is we need to hold China and India to account. They're increasing their emissions rather than reducing their emissions. We can't do anything with the environment if India and China don't stop what they're doing. And so there are ways that we can address it. But you do it in a transitional way. You don't do it in a harsh, extreme way. And I think that's the problem that we've had with Joe Biden. Nikki Haley, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Oh, I hope everybody gets out and votes and go to NikkiHaley.com. So lots of text coming in. Your feedback welcome at 651-461-9226 on our conversation with Nikki Haley. A couple notes from my perspective. You know, when you go into this sort of thing, you have to sort of decide which way you're going to go. And if you love politics like I do, it's easy to get caught up in all of the political strategy type stuff. You know, is it, you know, are you going to run as an independent? Will you endorse Trump if he runs the table on Super Tuesday? Will you drop out? And I was thinking about this yesterday and I sort of decided that, like, when it really comes down to it, I don't care. I why, And why do we care about that stuff? Like, let's talk about climate change. Let's talk about reproductive health. Let's talk about geopolitical. Uh, what is enemy number one, danger number one? Um, I think we as citizens have been sold kind of a bill of goods that like we should really care about all this strategy stuff. And what we're leaving on the side is any sort of actual conversation 
as to where these candidates are on any issues that we might actually care about. So I decided like that was sort of how I was going to uh, that was how I was going to split up the question. So some of you have texted, you know, well, you didn't ask this or that. And it's like, yeah, I didn't. You're right. Like, for sure. Whenever you do an interview like that, you're like, oh, I wish I would have followed up, especially when you do it. And then you listen back and then you listen back again. Like, oh, I wish I followed up on that or I wish I said that. But I think you get a sense as to where she is on the issues. To me, my analysis is that Nikki Haley is a conservative Republican. She's being portrayed as a moderate Republican which I think just tells you a little bit as to how the landscape has shifted. Is she a moderate? No. Does it make any sense for Nikki Haley to run with Dean Phillips? No. The only thing those two agree on is that Trump is bad for America. Well, I mean, that's something, but that's really nothing. Like, that is not, that's not what we want. Nobody wants that. So so that's just sort of nonsense. She has been hitting hard this idea that the Joe Biden candidacy is a charade, that Joe Biden within the next month is going to remove himself. And so if Joe Biden's out, I mean, I guess my main issue with her from a strategy standpoint, and I did ask about it is that she is running a general election campaign in the primary and she's getting her butt kicked and she's going to get her butt kicked and she is not going to win a single race unless she can figure out how to talk to the Donald Trump faithful. And that is difficult to do when your main case, you know, we saw this with Ron DeSantis, when your main case is that uh, Donald Trump is a jerk and bad for democracy and you're trying to get people who would go uh, throw their bodies down in front of a, a presidential motorcade if Donald Trump told them to. So, you know, what do you do there? Uh, I thought her answer on embryos was very interesting. The fact that, and this is sort of an, a very old, and I, I'm not sure what Nikki Haley's religion is, but this is sort of a very old school Catholic thing. That artificial insemination is fine, but in vitro fertilization is not. And I'll tell you what, I think everyone has the right to have their own personal individual views on any of these issues. And I did find it refreshing that she said that her personal view doesn't need to become the policy. And I would like to have more of that from our politicians who have decided uh, uh, really over the last 20 years rhetorically that they're true believers and that is the way to go. And instead of considering what's best for the country, they talk about what they individually believe. Well, I don't really care. What is best for the country? What is good policy? What is just? What is uh, freedom? What is under the Constitution? Like that stuff that I'm interested in. That's what, you know, the, the hair that uh, President Biden's been trying to split on abortion, right, is that he says, as a Catholic, I'm, I'm pro-life, but as public policy, I think pro-choice is the yeah. way to go. And I think neither side seems to want to accept no that one that's actually that. true. But know, I right? like – I think that's – we should be able to separate your personal, especially religious views, mm-hmm. uh, from policy. It's challenging when you're, when you're talking about policy 
that is imbued with morality and ethicism, yep. right? Yep. It's difficult to draw that line. Exactly. And we've had the, that debate in this country since John Kennedy ran, and America was worried that you would have a Catholic president who was more loyal to the Pope than he was to the Constitution. So this is not a new this is not a new debate. But I think because it's become so accepted that your personal beliefs become policy, that when you hear Nikki Haley say, this is what I personally think, but I don't think it should be policy, like we got to, you know, we got a couple texts about this. People don't believe her. And I also understand that. But I, I, I would like to normalize the idea that as adults, we can separate our own personal beliefs on moral or ethical things and not advocate for things that, you know, frankly, are are certainly border on being unconstitutional, but aren't in the best interest of the country. So so I, I think there's there's validity there. Uh, one texter saying that Nikki Haley's uh, problem is, is like they don't like the way this is a Trump supporter. Those darn MAGA people trying to make America great again. Another texter, so typical and predictable, bashing Trump. Now, they're accusing me of bashing Trump. I didn't say a dang thing about Trump in the interview. Um, you know, what I would challenge people over the next week is to, like, not worry about the strategy. Whether you're voting in the DFL primary or the Republican primary. Think about who you think would be the best president and vote for that person. You don't need to vote for the winner. This isn't your seventh grade gym class where you're picking a kickball team. Like you're not trying to pick the the likely winner. Pick who you think is the best and feel good about participating in an election. That's what I think. Uh, Your feedback always welcome. You can text. You can email us anytime. Jason at odyssey.com. And if you want to check back on that uh, Nikki Haley interview or maybe forward it or share it to friends, you can do that on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Just look for Drive Time with DeRussia, and Dan tells me it's up. It's already there right now, so you can check that out. It is 3.33. We are going to take a break. We'll update you on the traffic and the weather. We know that snow is hitting parts of Minnesota already. When will it arrive here? We'll look at that in just a minute here on CCO. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The stories of science in this country have largely been written by men. And when you think about, you know, when I think about being in high school and even younger, like the scientists you mostly heard about, maybe you heard about Marie Curie. She was the token woman in the way the stories of science were told. But Liz Heineke has made it a bit of her literary mission to help expose some of the women uh, as a part of science the women who have made major contributions. And her new book is just out. 
uh, right in time for Women's History Month. She can stem 50 trailblazing women in science from ancient history today. And Liz is with us in studio today. Liz, uh, it's so great to see you. Great to see you too, Jason. You have been writing books as the Kitchen Pantry Scientist uh, for, gosh, when did you write Probably your first book? 2014, so it's been about 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. My, my kids were very little when they were uh, photographed in one of your Yep, books. they're some of my model scientists. <laughs> they're so cute. <laughs> um, what what drove you to really research these, these, frankly, untold stories? There are so many women in this book that I think most people have never heard of. Well, I think part of it's when I was writing, you know, my first science experiment books, I started to realize that one of the best ways to teach kids about science is to tell stories. Mm. But most of the stories I was telling um, were about famous men. And um, I grew to realize, I started doing research for a book on Marie Curie, and I grew to re- realize how many fascinating women were working in science. You know, women have been in science for the last 2,000 years or more. We just haven't heard about them. So I wanted to tell some of their stories. And um, my book tells the story of 50 scientists from past to present. It's 50 women who were in the scientific landscape um, made or are making important contributions. But um, I also just want to make the scientists relatable. So when I when I write about these women, I write about their science. I write about how they struggled for recognition. I wrote about their discoveries. But I also write about, you know, their childhoods hmm. and their child. Like, what, what did they like doing when they were kids? How did they get interested in science? Like, some of these women, some of these modern scientists, um, like Dr. Nadia Mason was on the national gymnastics team. Um, Dr. Yeah, Dr. Um, Chanda Prescott Weinstein um, was an amazing um, dancer. She went to the School for the Arts and and did modern dance and jazz dance. A couple of these historical scientists actually studied music with Gustav Holst, who's a famous composer. I mean, these people just have cool, cool stories. And and. I think there's something for young – well, there's something for young people and adults to grab onto about that, right? Yeah, I've had a lot of adults tell me. I think I enjoyed reading this, you know, as much as my kids did huh. um, because these are all relatable women. Yeah. Um, and it is really astonishing to read their stories and about how so many of them didn't get the recognition they deserved. You know, there's more than one story where a woman made the discovery or did the work and then their male, you know, often they were graduate students, their male advisors – took their research and won a Nobel Prize for it. Or, you know, they did the experiment that allowed someone to prove their theory, and then the man they were working for won the Nobel yeah. Prize. Um, Alice Ball discovered a cure for leprosy, um, and and she died, and her, you know, the guy she was working for took credit for that. So mm. uh, luckily, and, you know, Rosalind Franklin, we've all heard about her. She discovered the structure of DNA, but was not awarded the Nobel Prize Um do you, do, you think, do you think that is changing at all, or is that just sort of a structure, like part of any sort of hierarchical structure is that the boss is going to take credit for the No, owner? it's absolutely changed. I mean, I think now, certainly, I mean— Well, you just blow the person up on social media and destroy them for stealing <laughs> so, your work. Yeah, you I definitely suppose. could. It I is mean, easier, right? Yeah, I mean, one one student, Birchin—or she's a, she's a Ph.D. scientist now, but Birchin— um, Mutlu Pakdil, who was actually, I think, got her PhD at the University of Minnesota, discovered a galaxy that's named after her. And I believe she was a graduate student when she discovered it, and she got credit for that discovery. Things have certainly changed. Um, People are no longer limited by their gender. There's certainly still um, sexism exists in the world of science. I mean, 
Um, well, it and exists in the world, right? So exists it exists in the world. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in. It's worse in science. It has been because for, for a long time it was just a traditionally male. I, women did, you know, medicine, but yeah. sort of hard research science. A lot of that was very male dominated. But Liz, that's changing now, luckily. Liz Heineke is with us. Her book is called She Can Stem. 50 Trailblazing Women in Science. Which which story surprised you the most? You didn't know about all these women before. Oh, my gosh. No, yeah. I didn't know about many of them at all. Uh, which story surprised me the most? I guess one story that surprised me, um, I didn't realize that a woman figured out um, what the sun was made of. And once again, the her two the two men she worked with, they did. She she was studying all this data that was coming in from they were taking um, pictures of stars and she was studying their uh, their colors, their spectrum and trying to figure out what they were made of. And she realized that the sun is mostly made of hydrogen with some helium. But the two men she worked with didn't believe her. She was a Ph.D. student at the time. And they um, she had to in her thesis sort of say, well, you know, I thought this maybe, but it's apparently it's not true. And later they like came to the same, con- same conclusion, oh, wow. took credit for it. Huh. I mean, there are so many stories like that. Yeah. And it's not it, it, it does. I mean, it makes you angry, but it also just makes you happy that it's not like that. anymore. Well, that's what I was going to ask it you. Makes, I mean, if it's hopeful. Yeah. Such, I mean, kids can read so this and say these women fought these battles all these scientists from diverse backgrounds. I write about scientists from all around the world, but these women, you know, historical ones, fought these battles so that modern um, scientists today don't have to fight all the same battles. They really persevered and were role models. Um, so I want every kid to read this book and be able to, you know, see something of themselves in the scientists. Maybe like, oh, this scientist loves coral reefs. This scientist loves sharks. You know, this scientist is a gymnast or a musician or a dancer. Yeah. Um, and see themselves a little bit and, and just see that you can love science and be interested in the world around you, but you don't have to be like this, you know, like the Albert Einstein. Nerd. You don't have imagine. to be like a weirdo nerd, right? You don't have to be. You, and you can, can be. if you want to. Like right. you can be like me and just embrace it, Jason. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think most people would put me pretty squarely in the nerd camp as well. Liz Heideke, uh, her book is called She Can Stem. When you think about this book, obviously you know, girl moms and girl dads are going to be inspired to share these stories with their kids. Uh, When my kids were younger, like I was also my two boys, I was always trying to tell them these stories also. So I wonder, like, when you think about this book, like, I just think if you're a parent, period, uh, reading these stories is, is important. It is important, whether you have boys or girls. And I have never geared my science education towards any gender. Yeah. I think it's important for all of us to read read history, read the stories. Um, and uh, one thing I forgot to mention was each biography has a little hands-on experiment. So kids can try out a little science related to the work that they're doing. So if they study about – if they read about Mary Golda Ross, who was um, – her grandfather was a chief in the Cherokee Nation, but she became an engineer for NASA, worked on aerodynamics. So kids can read about her, and then they can make paper airplanes, which nice. is like – and, you know, just check it out. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Each each story, each of these 50 stories has a little hands-on. So the beauty of this for a, for a book, for a kid, is you, you can pick a scientist and do one each night or each week or whatever. Absolutely. You can read them in order. Yeah. They go from past to present, or you can just like find scientists that like marine biology or whatever your kid is interested in. You Are know? you encouraged, Liz, when you look at you know when you look at the number of women working in science? 
you know, today it's we have more. Obviously, we started from sort of a crappy starting point, but there are more women working in science today than ever before. Absolutely. And one thing I find really encouraging is apparently people study these things. But, you know, even as opposed to 10 years ago, when they ask girls or they ask kids to draw Uh, a scientist, kids won't won't just draw men. They'll draw they'll draw girls, women. So that's really cool. I love that. Yeah, I love it. People can find this everywhere. Everywhere books are sold. Yep. The book is called She Can Stem, Liz Lee Heineke, H-E-I-N-E-C-K-E. And we'll tweet it out, too, so you can check it out. Liz, it's awesome. So good to see you. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Uh, Get the book. Share it with your uh, friends and with your family. It's 349. We'll take a break. When we come back, a little bit of a shocker about airplane mode on the plane. Yeah, we'll talk about that next. Airplane mode is one of the greatest frauds of all time. It's an absolute fraud. You know, I was just on a flight. Dan was on a flight. We just flew uh, to Fort Myers and flew back. And man, are our arms tired. (laughs) Uh, Airplane mode is presented as if you may bring down the airplane unless you go to airplane mode. And admit it. Admit it. Don't you... Turn it off like while you're on your way down, while you're on your way to the landing. Don't you just fire up the phone just a little early, nope. just like just to see. Do you ever leave it on on takeoff? No, nope. you're such a rule. I'm follower. such a rule follower. It's great. I now, like to wait to the last second. I feel guilty like if you're taxiing away from the gate or to the gate and I still don't have it on airplane mode, I start to feel guilty. I mean... First of all, the FAA did a study, this in Gizmodo today, did a study in 2012 that found zero incidents of aircraft disturbances from cell phone usage. In Europe, they do allow people Mm. to have their data on, and they allow phone calls. They've done that since 2022. The real reason that airlines are lying to you about airplane mode is that they are worried that some ding-dong is going to be yapping on the phone the whole flight. Appropriately so. I think they're spot on about that. Can't they just tell you, like, this is our policy? It's not allowed? Why do they have to act like you're going to take the plane Have you seen people's behavior on planes? Mm -hmm. There'd be fistfights in the the aisleway. I I, I think we're... No, actually, we are dumber than that. You're right. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.